violated God's holy law, even though we are enemies of God apart from Christ, we now have peace with God. How is it that one who is an enemy of God can now become a friend of God? Paul answers that question in the end of verse 1. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you can have peace with God is through Jesus because Jesus is the one who bore the wrath of God for you. So either right now, you're, in, you're either in one of two positions. Your standing is either one of two things. Right now, you have either violated God's law and you stand condemned and you will bear the wrath of God for all eternity. Either that's you, an enemy of God, or you have come to faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death for you, and has been raised by God. Either you are an enemy of God or you are now a friend of God. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Which is it? You're in either one of two positions. Which is it? Does the wrath of God remain on you? Or do you have peace with God? And the only way that's possible is through faith and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Abide in His peace. Remain in His peace. We have peace. Secondly, we have access to His presence. Verse 2, it says, Through whom? Who is the whom? It's Jesus. Through whom? Through Jesus also. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have also obtained already our introduction by faith. And really this is a term that it reflects the Old Testament idea of being in God's presence, having an access to God. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle or the temple, there were sections where only certain people could enter. You had to be a priest in order to enter these sections. And then there was the, the Holy of Holies in the, in the middle where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the only person that could ever go into that room was the high priest. And you could only go into that room once a year on the Day of Atonement. And nobody else had that access. It was limited. You were cut off. You were on the outside. And now Paul says through Christ we have obtained already this access. This introduction, we have been introduced into the presence of God and we now have that. Through Jesus Christ, you have that. This, this introduction by faith, once again, is by trusting God and not by trying to be good into this grace in which we stand. We now stand in the presence of God as Christians. We stand in the presence of God by grace. It's not by your goodness. It's not by your works or your worth. It's only in Christ. You can never come into the Holy of Holies on your own because the wrath of God abides on you. But in Christ, you have the great high priest who has already obtained for you an introduction into this grace. We stand in God's presence in grace. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. We have access to His presence. Also, because of this, we ought to abound in His praise. Look at verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, present tense. And also we do this, the third thing. We exult in hope 
We boast about this. The Bible says there are certain things we shouldn't boast in. But it also says there are things that we should and we must boast in as Christians. We boast in this, present tense, because of the standing that we have earned by God's favor, not our own, but by this grace, we exult in hope. What is hope? Because that's what this passage today is all about. It's all about hope. What is hope? Is it this thinking that maybe, just maybe, possibly, in my mind, I, I want something to go well, but I don't know if it will or not. I just hope it does. That's not the biblical concept of hope. Hope is being certain. Hope is, is having some sort of expectation. It's being sure that something's coming. It's not there yet, but it's coming. I talked about the tax return thing. Well, maybe you filed for an electronic return, and the government says you're going to get this money. It hasn't been put in your bank account yet, but you're going to get it. So then you're operating in hope, and no longer is it just, well, I wish it turns out, but I don't know. You know it's coming. It just hadn't, hadn't arrived yet. That's the biblical idea of hope. We exult in hope. We have this future hope. It's a certain hope, a secure hope. It's a hope that holds on to us. We have this hope of what? Paul says we have hope of the glory of God. The glory that God possesses. That God possesses. Paul's already said that the glory of God is something that, he, that humans try to rob from Him. It's something in our sin that we exchange for other things. It's something we all fall short of as human beings. Something that we have lost. We've lost the glory that comes from a relationship with God. But Paul says, we exult, we boast in this hope, this certainty of the glory of God that what we have lost in our sin, God has promised to restore. And it's coming and we boast in that. We stand in that. That is our standing. We stand abiding in peace. We stand approaching and accessing His presence. We stand abounding in praise because we boast in what Christ has done and what is promised to us will come to pass. That's hope. That's true hope. And we find that hope in our standing with God, our justification by faith alone. It's the only way you're declared right with God. It's the only way you have a good standing with God. Secondly, we find true hope in our struggles. Yes, we have future glory that's been promised to us. Yes, we've got the, the promise that the, the direct deposit's going to come. But we, we haven't arrived yet. We have a future hope in a, in a glory that is to come. But yet we now live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's fallen, a world that's cursed. And so we have what we know as this, this idea or this struggle of the now and the not yet. 
Now we are children of God. Now we have the grace in which we stand. Now we have a right standing with God. But we have not yet arrived at that final destination. What God has promised has not happened yet. It's as good as as happening, but it hasn't happened yet. And so we're living in between this time. In between this time, this world, Jesus says, in this world you will have struggles. In this world you will have tribulation. But as a Christian, we can have positivity during our sufferings. Positivity. Paul says, not only this, not only do we boast in hope, we exult and we boast in our tribulations. You know, Christians are not exempt. Whoever in the world thought that when I get saved, everything's going to just be all rainbows and unicorns for me. Whoever thought that is sadly mistaken. And if somebody pitched that sail to you, they have lied to you. They have deceived you. In this world, you will have struggles. In this world, you will have tribulations. Jesus says that's the case. God's people have always suffered from oppression, from afflictions, from circumstances beyond our control, by harm done to us by others. God's people have always suffered tribulation. We should never expect in this present state to ever escape tribulation. It's guaranteed. But in the midst of tribulation, Paul says we also exult in these things. Now, he's not being sadistic. He's not ever saying, well, when pain comes, just love pain. What he is saying is, in the midst of tribulation, we exult in the hope that we have. We exult in these tribulations because Christian hope remains in spite of and Paul here is going to argue even because of tribulations hope remains because first of all we have perseverance from our suffering verse 3 goes on to say not only this we also exult in our tribulations knowing being sure of being certain of this coming to this experience recognizing and understanding we've lived this long enough to know this is true. We've been around the block a few times knowing as Christians that tribulation brings about perseverance. Hardships, difficulties, struggles. There is this chain of events that are set in motion. And Paul says, knowing that tribulation brings about, literally works out. That's a a great image for us, isn't it? Think about being in the gym. You're working out. No pain, no gain, right? The only way you're going to ever shed those pounds, the only way you're going to ever add that lean muscle is if you work out. And Paul says tribulations, we know tribulations work out our perseverance. The muscles of our faith are strengthened when we struggle We have fortitude that comes about only by our hardships. Our tests are the only things that sharpen our faith and give us strength. 
we have perseverance from suffering, and it's only from suffering that that happens. It's also only from suffering that you have proof. Verse 4, and perseverance, proven character. Character that has been proven. Character that has been tested. What's the old commercials? Kid tested, mother approved. Well, in this situation, it is child of God tested, father approved. When we go through these, trou- go through these troubles and these struggles, and we come through on the other side, it is the evidence of a Christ-like spirit. It proves something. Our character has been shown to be legit. It's not counterfeit. It's not fake. Difficulties reveal what's truly on the inside. And when you've been hurt, and when life just smacks you in the face and punches you in the guts, your character is revealed, who you truly are. Now, you may have others fooled. You may even have yourself fooled. But when adversity strikes, and it does, when adversity strikes, it reveals what's truly on the inside. Do you have faith or not? And Paul says perseverance gives proven character, a Christ-like spirit. It's the process of sanctification. God starts this journey and this relationship with you. You're justified already, but then He begins to work in your life to make you more like Jesus. And there's a lot of things God uses, a lot of tools and instruments to shape you. And one of those things, persecutions, tribulations, struggles, suffering, God uses that to shape us and to mold us into the image of Christ. But it's the proof. Because when trouble hits, adversity comes, and our faith remains, we have proof. I really am a child of God. I really do have hope. Which leads us to the last thing. Verse 4 says, purpose in our suffering. We exalt in tribulations because they bring perseverance. Perseverance proves our character. And when our character is proven, then we have hope. That's the purpose in this. It's a tangible source of assurance. How do you know you're saved or not? How do you know that you have this relationship with God? It's because when adversity strikes, you don't bail. You don't quit on God. You hold on to faith. In fact, when persecution and adversity and difficulties come, you tighten up and you strengthen up and you stand firm and you say, I'm hoping in you, God. I'm hoping in a future that is to come. It's not mine yet, but God, you promised it and I'm holding on to it. That is what the result is when we suffer as Christians. Our hope is shown. And then we say, okay, I guess I am legit. I don't always feel that way. But when our faith stands, it proves something. And that proof gives us assurance. Now there's one thing I've come to understand in life. Even believers, even Christians, struggle at times with anxiety and depression. Feelings of insecurity and worthlessness. Christians are not exempt from that. In fact, some of the most profound Christians of all of church history, Charles Spurgeon, he's called the Prince of Preachers. He suffered from severe bouts of depression, debilitating depression. I remember the first time I ever read that, I was like, no way. Yes, way. 
We all deal with that from time to time, some more than others. And the thing is, if your hope is subjective, if it's only in how you feel, then your hope is going to disappoint you and let you down. But if your hope is found and rooted in objective truth that says, you know what, today I don't feel good. I don't feel right. I don't feel strong. But God's Word says I have a sure and certain hope. God's Word says I've already been justified. God's Word says I have a hope that's been promised by Him. And that is what's legit. Not your feelings, your faith. Not based on your situation, but on your Savior. You have hope. Even when you don't feel right, you don't feel worthy, you don't feel good. We have hope. And struggles are God's instruments to bring us to that point where we have assurance. Not in ourselves, because we're at the end of ourselves. But we have assurance in Him. And it's from Him. Which leads us to our third and final point. Find true hope from His Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised before He left, He said, I will send you the Comforter. I will send the One who will bring you peace of mind and peace of heart. Peace with God. His indwelling Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our eternal security, verse 5. Because Paul says, hope does not disappoint. Literally, it does not bring us to shame. It's the idea of standing in the presence of God in His judgment. Whether or not you will stand or whether or not you will be ashamed depends on the hope we have in Christ Jesus. Hope, true hope, will not bring us to shame. Our right standing with God by faith produces this future hope, and works can't do this. If your hope of standing before God is based on whether or not you're better than somebody else, whether or not you've kept more rules than you've broken... If that is your hope, you will not stand. You will be sadly disappointed in the judgment. You will be ashamed. But if your hope is rooted in the person and the work of Jesus and nothing else, if that is your hope, you will never be put to shame. You will never be disappointed. Because nothing else is needed for your standing with God other than Christ Jesus. He is enough. We have eternal security in Christ that works could never attain. We also have eternal sufficiency. Verse 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because of this, the love of God, God's love, agape love, supernatural, divine, sacrificial selfless love this almighty God's love has been poured out past tense has been poured out literally shed or spilled it's the same word Jesus used in the last supper when he referred to the cup and he says this is the blood of the new covenant which has been poured out out for forgiveness of sin the love of God 
the blood of Jesus has been poured out. Poured out where? Look at this. Poured out, verse 5, within our hearts. Our hearts that were deceitful, our hearts that were turned away from God, our hearts that desired sin, God has now poured out His holy love within our hearts and God gives us a new heart, our heart that was dead in trespasses and sin, as Ann read for us earlier, has now been made alive in Christ because the love of God has been poured out, the blood of Jesus has been poured out. We've been given a new heart, a heart that now loves God and a heart that's now capable of loving people the way that God loves us. A living heart is a loving heart. And God gives us that eternal sufficiency. The love of God has been poured out. There's nothing else your heart needs than the love of God, right? Nothing else your soul needs besides the love of God which has been poured out by the blood of Jesus into our hearts, within our hearts. Our eternal sufficiency in the Lord, finally, the Holy Spirit's our eternal seal. As Paul says, this hope does not disappoint. We stand before God in judgment, not ashamed. Why? Because God's love has been poured out within our hearts. How has the love of God been poured out in our hearts? How does God apply His love to our hearts? It is through this instrument of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who was given to us. The Holy Spirit in the Bible has a lot of different ministries. But one thing He does he seals our salvation. He secures our standing with God. He is given to us, because Paul says here, this Holy Spirit, who was given? Holy Spirit's not a thing, it's a person. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, past tense. Has been given to us by God. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by a Father that loves us. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God also give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A loving Father gives us gifts, and what better gift that God could ever give you is than the love of God poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit, the seal of your salvation. What greater gift is possible than that? A gift that guarantees we'll be spared from wrath. We stand before God unashamed because the Holy Spirit sealed our salvation. How does that come? It comes through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, faith, hope, and love, the triad that Paul often refers to, is all present and accounted for in the life of a Christian. Verse 1, we've been justified by faith. Verse 2, we exult in hope. Verse 5, because the love of God has been poured out on us. If you're a Christian, you have faith, hope, and love. If you don't have faith, hope, and love, you're not a Christian. But we see this, this evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all those things are evidence to us that God has sealed us for salvation. We've been given a deposit. It has been given to us, a down payment, a promise of something yet to come. The Holy Spirit resides in your heart as a Christian to remind you that the best is yet to come. And God has promised it. So therefore, you and I can enjoy the blessings of a secure relationship with God. Only by trusting in His Son can we have a hope that 
holds, a hope that remains. If your house is like mine from time to time, things will fall apart. Things will need fixing. For the last few weeks, we've had an issue in our kitchen. We've got a drawer in our cabinet that you pull out, and there's no handles on it, so you have to reach underneath. It's one of those designed drawers. And in and, and the front of the, of the drawer, the top part is, is coming off. And so the screw's in there, and so you take a screwdriver and tighten those screws up. Well, then a few days later, after wear and tear, it comes loose again. So the other day, Nancy took a, a, a drill to it, a battery-powered drill, and screwed the screws in. And it held for a while. Next thing you know, fall off, fell off again in the middle of the night. The whole front just falls off. And so for a few days, there's the front of this drawer just sitting on the counter just waiting for somebody to fix it. Finally, I guess Nancy had enough of it, and, and she takes some new screws, bigger, better screws, and reattaches. So for now, the drawer holds. A lot of people are operating in that same concept when it comes to standing before God. We try all kinds of different methods. We say, well, I'll try this. I'll try going to church. And after a while, that doesn't seem to provide me with the sense of assurance that I need. I'll, I'll, I'll start giving money to the church. But after time, that doesn't seem to hold either. So I'll, I'll get baptized. Maybe that'll do it, but that doesn't seem to hold either. And so we keep trying these things, so eventually the hope just falls off. And we're tired of dealing with it and tired of struggling with it, and we just operate without any hope of standing before God in judgment. Is there anything out there that will hold? Is there anything out there that will secure and give us that assurance? And Paul says we have that hope. And that hope is not found in our efforts. It's not found in rituals and religion. It's found in Christ Jesus. It's found by being justified by faith, by humbling yourself and receiving the free gift that God provides you in Christ. That's the only way. It's the only way you'll have hope. It's the only way you'll have assurance. You can either trust your own efforts or you can trust in the Trinity. I don't know if you've seen that in this passage or not. Paul says we have peace with God. It's God the Father. Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this hope that doesn't disappoint us. The love of God's poured out our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit. All three members present and accounted for. In a passage that deals with the subject and the substance of hope, all three members of the Trinity show up. You think this is important. You think this matters. Oh, yeah, of course it matters. Not only is it the Word of God, but Paul brings all three members, all three persons of the Trinity into this thing and says, you have hope with God because of what Christ has done and it's applied to your heart in the Holy Spirit and it's all through faith and it's the only way. It's the only way. But, if it's there, not only do you have objective peace with God, I think Paul is writing here to say, we can draw subjective feelings of peace with God by knowing what He's done for us and knowing what He's promised us. In those moments when we are tempted to despair and we're, we're tempted to just give up because of life, 
we look to heaven and we see our Savior. He's standing there and He says, I have died for you. I've given everything for you. There's nothing else. Nothing else is needed. My child, just trust. My child, just, just hope. My child, just love. And in doing that, you will show that there's something there. You will show that you have been transformed. And you are strong. So don't seek your own strength. Seek His supernatural strength. A hope that holds. It's not something that you do. It's not something you try. It's something God's done for you. The superglue of the Spirit is applied to your soul when you trust in Jesus Christ. And there is no greater hope than that. Let's pray.